mama. But... This is the Doctor Mama podcast with your host, Doctor Alice Kaufman. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Mama podcast. Welcome everybody and happy May. Merry May. This is episode twenty-one for May sixth, twenty twenty-one. I'm just so happy it's May. I mean, it's also kind of strange because it doesn't feel like it should be May because it still feels like March 2020. But it is really cool it's May. It's kind of like proper signs of spring. Uh, you've done planting in the garden now, which it is did. cool. I did. I put all the vegetables in the garden. Not all of them. Most of the vegetables outside this past weekend. The tomatoes, the kale, the lettuce, the spinach. It was great. And I, I kind of had to sort of warm myself up to sort of like the spring and summer of parenting by getting used to the fact that kids get muddy. And that first that first afternoon, I was very stressed. <laughs> yeah, Alex came outside and the kids were covered in mud and he got really mad. And I was like, it's like literally just a bit of mud. And I don't know why anyone's making a big deal of this. And then and then the next day was much better. It was fine. I just kind of forgot that that was a thing. Yes, and then... they're going to be head to toe covered in mud, yep. but it comes off in the bath and it's fine. And I'm actually totally fine with it, especially because I grew up in the countryside and I spent most of my childhood plastered in mud. <laughs> yeah, it's so not it's a big fine. deal. But it, it, yeah, it's just nice to be able to go and spend time outside. We spent so much time outside this past weekend. Yes, and, it was lovely. But the uh, the joys of trying to put on uh, sunscreen on kids who don't want it on is a little bit more entertaining. Well, yes, especially because one has skin sensitivity and the other doesn't. So the which sunscreen they can use is different and then they <laughs> fight over it. It's a little silly. I want the mango smelling one. Well, no, you can't because you're allergic to it. But I want it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have an absolutely stupendous episode this week um, with the wonderful Dr. Laura Gould. Do tell us more, my love. So she is an emergency medicine doctor. I think the first that we've spoken to on this show from mm -hmm. emergency medicine. Though if uh, if we did get that wrong, we have an excuse because we are parents and sleep deprived. Well, yes. And we are incredibly grateful to all emergency physicians, of course, for this past year since they've been carrying so much of the brunt of this pandemic on their shoulders. And I have never been more grateful to the emergency medicine physicians in my life. So thank you, one and all. Um, and particularly thank you to the amazing Laura Gould, who also took the time out of her busy day to speak with us. So she is a board-certified emergency medicine doctor. She did medical school at the Royal College of Surgeons Ireland and residency at Brown University in Rhode Island. And she also did a fellowship in pediatric sports medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. I feel like she's sort of letting herself down there because she did uh, Ireland, Rhode Island. She she should have done like a fellowship somewhere with Ireland in the name. Yes. In your accent, Ireland and <laughs> Island sound very similar. That is true. Yeah, They don't in mine or in Laura's. Okay. Here's a, here's a test. Uh, am I saying the country... Or the thing, um, Ireland. It just sounds silly. I don't know. <laughs> Why would I know that? 
Anyway, <laughs> I hope everybody enjoys this stimulating conversation with the amazing Dr. Laura Gould. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So we want to start like we always do to give you a chance in your own words. Tell us how did you become a Dr. Mama? Let's see. So I didn't, I didn't become a Dr. Mama until I was an attending physician. Um, I went through med school residency um, without children, which made life a lot easier for me um, compared to all my colleagues that had babies in medical school and residency. And then I finished residency in 2013 and I didn't have TIG until 2019. Um, so I had quite a few years where I was, so I didn't have tag until my late thirties. I think I was 37. Um, so I had quite a few years kind of working and, um, getting comfortable working as an attending physician before my partner and I decided it was time to have kids. Um, I think, you know, we kind of wanted to be settled in our careers and financially stable and have loans paid off and all those kind of logistics. Um, and we're, you know, it, we, needed to be a very conscious decision. My partner's female. So there was no, you know, we needed to be very deliberate in terms of our planning. And um, so, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, having the opportunity to kind of really have a good schedule, I think I was fortunate in a lot of ways and that I was able to take time with him. And, um, you know, as opposed to a lot of people that do it during residency and are constricted in terms of training and um, so yeah, that's sort of how I became a doctor mama. Awesome. So yeah. you mentioned a few of things. How did you know, like, okay, now is the time when we want to start to plan a pregnancy? I think we were getting into our late thirties and we were like, if we are going to do this, we should probably look at doing it. And we had talked about it, you know, um, for a couple of years and then you just need to be so deliberate and there's you know, you start the process and then there's so many things that you have to do in order, you know, for IVF and in terms of clearance and lab work and picking donors and where are you going to get a donor? And is it going to be someone, you know, is it going to be anonymous? There were just so many things that we didn't really think about. And that whole process takes a while as well. Um, so, you know, from the time that we were like, okay, let's do this. Let's see moms to the time where we were like, you know, actually going um, for implantation was probably a good year um, wow. just in terms of like you know agreeing on a donor and agreeing which pathway we were going to go down yeah. for all of that um, it just took a little while okay. um, so yeah and I think we were like you know we're getting older and if we're going to do it now's the time and I think we were hoping that we could potentially you know have a good extraction and have um, embryos frozen so that we could have the opportunity for a second should we want that um, did you always know you wanted to be a mom or was that kind of a later in life decision? I think it waxed and waned. I think at times, you know, I was so certain that I wanted to be a mom. And then I think at other times, you know, in watching other people become moms, I was like, you know, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> um, and just seeing the struggle, especially with, you know, kind of having your career uh, on your mind so constantly and just seeing how it is interrupted in great ways, but just the difficulties around that. 
I think, you know, watching people do it through medical school and residency, it is admirable and, you know, such an amazing thing to watch, but man, is it so challenging. And so I think there were times during residency where I saw people do it and I was like, I just don't know that this is possible. All the juggling and, um, you know, having to split yourself in two and kind of make, turn your priorities to your child rather than your career, which for your entire life has been kind of your focus. Um, but then I think as an, you know, as you get out of residency, you become an attending, life is so much easier. Um, you know, you're not working those crazy hours. Uh, you know, where I work, we were, we do 28 hours a week, which is pretty reasonable. And then I think it became very, you know, just something that I was like, okay, I could do this. Um, you know, I could take this on. And, and so I think that was sort of when we decided, yeah, this is something that we want to do. It sounds good that you were able to have that opportunity to like actually realistically see what parenting during training can be like because I know some people will you know just get painted this picture of like oh a child it's like this heavenly beautiful thing and while it is it's actually really hard and that's without having medical training in the mix as well so it seems like you're able even now yeah even now i you know, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, man, that seems really hard. But I literally had no idea how hard it was until I actually had one of my own, you know, I was like, oof, that seems challenging, you know, but you like you see them pumping and they you see them making it work. And then even as an attending, I was like, oh, my God, I can't imagine having to have done this as a med student or a resident just because the time, you know, um, that you have to dedicate to it is just it's a lot. So how did kind of the reality compare to your expectation of of how it would fit into your career and how all the balls would juggle? It was challenging. You know, I, I breastfed um, and that was super challenging for me. Um, you know, I think no matter what you're told, you don't understand how hard it is until you actually have to do it. And everyone has their own story and their own struggles, whether it's underproduction, overproduction, not, you know, latching issues. There's so many things that come into play and you just have no idea. So I really struggle with breastfeeding um, and my supply didn't come in and having to do triple feeds and 12, you know, 12 times a day with pumping and feeding. And um, so I wound up taking a long time off because it was so important to me and it was so ingrained in me that I really wanted to breastfeed. And now looking back, I don't, maybe it was, you know, too crazy and, you know, too much, but I think, you know, you read the literature and you know, and you just have this mindset of what you want as a mom. So I wound up taking about eight months off to spend with Guy, which was great. Um, and it really allowed us to establish our, our nursing relationship. Um, and allowed me some time away from the emergency department. And then I slowly went back, which was great. My director at the time or my chief at the time was super understanding and was like, yeah, do whatever you want. If you want to work a day, a, a day, a month, two days a month, four days a month, whatever you want, um, which was great. So it allowed me to kind of establish a relationship with him, establish our nursing relationship, and then to come back slowly because, you know, the ER, I'm an emergency physician. And so um, the schedules are crazy. It's nights, it's weekends. Um, it's not crazy long days. Typically, we only typically do eight or nine hour shifts, but they're all encompassing when you're there. Um, so it allowed a really nice transition back and just pumping at work and navigating kind of all that came with returning to work. Um, it was a really nice way to do it. So I'm super fortunate um, in that way. So you had a wonderful amount of time to have. Uh, how how did you find that time? 
challenging. Yeah. It was super challenging and it was way more challenging. You know, I think you think maternity leave and until you take it, you're like, oh, but it's a vacation and it is anything but, you know. There's so much expectation that people are like, oh, it's so nice you (laughs) had eight months off. off. (laughs) Totally. And you just don't realize it, you know, and he was a horrible sleeper and, you know, and then we tried to transition him to like, starting daycare and he wouldn't take a bottle he didn't take a bottle from anyone never took a bottle in his whole life so um there was challenges around that and you know having to go in to to nurse him in order for him to get any sort of sustenance you know daycare was like oh they'll do it they'll do it they always do it and this guy was like I'm just never gonna do that I need to directly (laughs) nurse and that is the only way I will I will eat um so that was challenging and then just you know it's such a big change. Um, and your whole life is around keeping this little thing alive. Um, so, and then, you know, I was pumping constantly to try and establish supply for the first few months and frantically reading every article that ever was written on lactation and Dr. Milk, that Facebook group that everyone's a part of and scouring that in terms of, you know, making sure, um, he was staying afloat with, with supply. Um, how did you find been away from work for that long how how did you find that I think being away was fine it was coming back that was tricky um I think it was great to get a little bit of time away um and just kind of be with Ig and um you know establish myself as a mom and you know um our relationship I think then going back to the emergency department after taking eight months off it's not exactly like riding a bike you think it is and you think everything's just going to come back but you know you never had that when am I pumping next what is he doing is he okay should I be calling in should I be checking the cameras and so it's just this thing that's going on in the back of your mind that was never there before and then still trying to really concentrate on patient care and, you know, making sure, and then being out of it for a while, you know, you try to listen to lectures and kind of keep up with CMEs and do that sort of stuff. But, you know, you really need to do it um, in order to stay good at it. And so I think that was more challenging than being away from it. How did you make that transition work for you then? I think, you know, I tried to not schedule myself for too many shifts right off the bat and I tried to schedule myself for shifts where I knew my that there was a lot of attending physicians in the emergency department so we staffed the ED based on kind of volume and um, you know nights are sparse in terms of backup and so I didn't work a lot of nights um, coming back and that was you know when you're typically the sole provider um, and so I think having my colleagues available to kind of just run things by or um, made it really helpful and then doing it slowly and, and going back and taking a shift here and there, um, kind of getting reacquainted to the emergency department made it a lot easier um, with coming back. And how did your colleagues find that were they supportive with that as well I mean they were to me (laughs) I don't know (laughs) you know I'm sure they were like oh she's so slow or oh she's so (laughs) annoying or I wish she would see more patients but you know um they were super supportive to me in coming back they were supportive in pumping um you know as much as you could be I had a portable pump and so that made it really easy I could still walk around charts see patients um do everything and so I think that helped to not um really affect numbers. I think I was slow in general. Um, but I think 
you know, uh, I did everything I could to try and keep up and kind of make sure uh, patients were getting seen. So did you pump while seeing patients? I sure did. Um, I think I got the Willow, which is one of the portable pumps. There's a couple different ones, I think, on the market now. Um, and I would try to set aside time that I knew I could be charting, but it doesn't always happen that way in the ED. And if, yeah. if an arrest comes in and you don't have time to remove the pump, I've intubated while pumping. Wow. I've seen, you know, patients and predominantly those were nights. And so your night population tends to be altered one way or another. And so I don't think they really picked up on it. Um, and I tried to not see patients while pumping, but it doesn't always work that way. Um, wow. But it, we are really lucky. I think years ago, I don't think you would have had that option. You have to remove yourself. But when you're the only physician in the ED or there's only one other physician there, you sort of have to work around that. You know. Wow. And how long how long did it take till you felt like you were like, okay, I've I've got this again. I'm I'm back in I'm back in the game. How how did you find? It was probably a few months until I really felt like, okay, I'm back riding a bike, feeling comfortable. Um, and even then, I mean, still to this day, it still feels different. Um, I don't think you ever really go back with that like blissful ignorance of, you know, <laughs> before you could fully immerse yourself in work and just care for patients and whatever was going on in the outside world didn't really matter. Like I didn't have to check my phone. I didn't have to worry about, you know, if, I fell at daycare and needed to go get stitches like it just nothing nothing else mattered and now I think that's like a constant um thought in the back of your mind is that you know you need to be more worried but I'd say after a few months of being back full time I felt pretty good and kind of backtracking a little there's like there, when you're thinking about different fields of medicine, there's different ways that each one can lend itself or not lend itself to parenthood. And obviously, like you were saying, as an ED doc, there anything can come through the door. So you can't necessarily schedule time to pump. You can't, um, you can't be kind of doing a little bit now and then take some time away, like an hour away and going back and forth because there's just always possible for anything to happen. But at the same time, it's shift work. So you can like finish the end of your shift and go home and not follow up with like lab results and patient phone calls and all of that. So there's, there's pros and cons. When you were thinking about your specialty did um lifestyle as a potential future parent were you ever thinking about that like oh I think I might want to be a parent someday and maybe this would be a good specialty for that or was it just kind of this is what I enjoy in medicine and the rest will follow I think it was more this is what I enjoy in medicine I think the schedule itself uh, was alluring to me especially in med school you know I think it's kind of a you go in, you work super hard, and then you leave, and it's don't call, don't write, I will see you at my next shift. It's really a true, one of the only true specialties where you can just put it on a shelf and walk mm -hmm. away, and I like that aspect of it. I think, you know, with every specialty, there's pluses and minuses, and, you know, you never get that patient follow-up. You come home with these crazy stories, and they're like, and everyone's always like, and then what? And you're like, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I put the patient on a helicopter, and I will never see them again. That was how the story ended. Um so that's definitely a deterrent, but I did like that you could just go in and then walk away. And then, you know, I do think in terms of because you do, you know, you're kind of all, it's all encompassing while you're there. 
the actual time that you're in the emergency department is less. Like we're contracted for 28 hours a week for full time. And then even that, a lot of people cut back. So you do have a lot of time to yourself where the rest of the world is, is working, you know, so you get this time to go to the beach when no one else is there or, you know, but then you work nights, you work weekends, the time where everyone else is up and doing things together, you often miss out on them. But no, I don't think I really considered it in terms of parenting, for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of, you said your partner's in medicine too, right? No, she's not. Oh. She's completely, she's in finance. Um, so mm-hmm. when you so were she is sorry go ahead sorry she's monday through friday like nine to five um the exact opposite um so just very routine schedule which is great so when you were um planning child care and maternity leave and transitioning to being parents how did the differences between your schedules play into those discussions so I think, you know, when we're looking for maternity leave, she works for a great company. She was given um, more maternity leave than that. So I took eight months, but most of it unpaid, obviously. Um, and she got a ton of paid leave, even as the one not carrying. Um, she got two months, I think, and she gets wow. six months if she carries. Um, and that was completely paid. So it gave us a lot of time together, which was great. Um, and then we considered all childcare options and returning both daycare, au pair, um, nanny. And her schedule was so consistent that daycare worked for us the best because we knew if she had to, she could always pick up, she could always drop off and we'd always have care available for when she was working um, as opposed to a nanny, you know, and daycare can't call out on you right like they have to provide backup and so we worried about you know nannies calling out or nannies not being available to come and then we we looked at au pairs and there's so many restrictions around au pairs and you know we kind of felt we weren't sure how we would feel about someone living with us um so I think her schedule really lends to daycare being the best option for us that's awesome yeah definitely um when you how did kind of the reality of that compare to the planning has it kind of met the expectations of like this is a regimented schedule or have there been more hiccups along the way I think COVID has thrown more hiccups than any family (laughs) could ever imagine possible um so that has been a challenge um I think it has you know up until COVID it worked out really well because we always had it and actually so I I took an um kind of administrative job as well in, in the last few months. Um, and so it was a little bit more consistent, which, which is better in ways, because in some ways it was, you know, we had daycare booked Monday through Friday, nine to five or eight to five. Um, but then I wasn't working half that time. So it felt silly, but you just have to pay for it because then some weeks I was working and just absolutely needed it. Yeah. Um, so in some ways it was like, well, I don't know um, if this makes the most sense, but it was just kind of what worked for us. And then COVID happened, right? And everything shut down. And um, so then he was just home full time for a little bit. And then we used emergency daycare for a little while, which was great. Um, but we wound up getting in people as well during that time, just kind of backup care, um, which has been, you know, helpful. Um, because we've had, I think, three closures since going back to daycare that have been COVID related. And then he tested positive for COVID. So he was out for a little while. So it's just been um, challenging. 
oh, for everyone. Thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, in those that earlier time, pre-COVID life, um, when you had times where you had paid for daycare, but you were home, did you ever have him go so you could, you know, get other work oh, done or was it always God, like all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we, before I sent him, I was like, oh, you know, when he doesn't have to go, I'll just stay home with him. We'll go to the beach and we'll go to the park and we'll just, you know, have this great. And then reality sets in and, you know, I'd be getting off at midnight or something. Yeah. And so I'd be sleeping and he would go and then I'm like oh well, I'll go get him a little bit early but then you get the whole day and it's just amazing to have this time to yourself so we wound up sending him probably more than I anticipated I thought we'd be paying for all this daycare that we weren't utilizing and then I think the more time that went by the more we were actually utilizing most of those hours yeah but I mean honestly that's probably the best thing though because it means that then when you are with him you're not stressed the housework's done you've had your like good alone time that sounds fabulous absolutely absolutely and now I work I took a director position and so I'm working um, more kind of regular hours and so that in and of itself presents its own its own challenges he goes to daycare now but he goes to daycare and I'm working um, those those that entire chunk of time. And so nothing gets done. I, you know, um, whereas before I had the time off, I could go shopping. I could do stuff around the house. I could get some stuff done. And now it's just every hour that he's not in daycare, um, or every hour that, yeah, every hour that he's at daycare, I'm working. So it makes it a little bit more challenging for sure. So I'm interested. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to do an Alice trick of backtracking. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm, really interested in knowing how your discussions started um with your partner on how to pursue becoming a parent um because there's obviously lots of aspects to go for um and obviously you were doing the IVF and all of that um was there a sort of like a big process of deciding who was going to spend more time at home uh, once the kid was uh, born um, was there big discussions about that was there big discussions on who was going to carry or was it always like did your be... career factor into yeah, the decision there's... of who was going to carry and and all and it's always a very different conversation for every couple but I'm interested to know how that conversation started and obviously you had a year of sort of like this planning, planning and... of it so absolutely I think you know I think we both we talked about who was going to go first and it was kind of more of a rock paper scissors ordeal than like a <laughs> you'll go first or I'll go first <laughs> um and she always says well you were older so you should go first but I'm older by <laughs> not even a month so <laughs> it doesn't truly make a difference but that's her argument to why I was going to go first um so, and then, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about it, you know, I think I made breastfeeding such a priority that she kind of took on the burden of literally everything else. Um, and that wasn't something we talked about ahead of time, but she kind of then became, you know, she did all diaper changes and put him to bed and everything around the house. And that was kind of just how it worked out for us. I think she saw how challenging breastfeeding was for me and how often we were doing it. And so yeah. she kind of stepped up and kind of took on all those other responsibilities. Um, and then she's, she's actually going through the process now. Um, Congratulations. And so, yeah, thanks. So we'll see. We're kind of in the midst of it. Um, and hopefully it's successful and then we'll, it will hopefully be role reversal in terms of, you know, she will 
then take on the burden of or, or the pleasure of breastfeeding I guess, yeah. depending on how you look at it and I will um, you know hopefully we'll have a toddler as well so that will obviously um, come into play but yeah um, yeah so how did you then decide that now is now is a good time to pursue a sibling when you know of course it's it's the classic time you know in the middle of a pandemic when you have a toddler <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think we actually, we had, we wanted, we didn't want to to be an only child. And so we knew we wanted to have a second. And again, you know, I, I don't know how we were so blindsided by the process taking so long, but I think COVID actually played into us postponing it because, right. you know, nothing was happening. And so IVF was not essential. Um, and yeah. so that was pushed off for lots of people. Um, and then when it came time to start thinking about it again, like there's just so many bumps that you don't foresee, you know, there, she wound up having ovarian cysts and fibroids and things that needed to be taken care of. So we, you know, needed surgery before we could start the process and then more COVID bumps. And so, um, we wanted to get her vaccinated before starting. So there's just so many things that kind of came into consideration and so many that are out of your control. Yeah. I think we had hoped that they would be a little bit closer in age, but um, you know, you can't really plan these things out. No. So. That's so interesting. So yeah. now that you're thinking about planning for a second, have you talked about, I mean, it's still very theoretical and, and in the future, but have you talked about how that might affect your career and her career? And would you take time off again or not? So hopefully, I think now, like, you know, now I'm not in the emergency department as much. I only work, you know, four or five shifts a month in the ED and the rest of it um, is this kind of director of quality medical education. And I think it's actually going to be more difficult to take time off because the ED, you can just step away, right? Like those right. responsibilities can just be someone else's. Um, but now I'm the only person in this role. And so I need to mm. be there kind of um, fulfilling that part. So I don't know that I'll actually be able to take that much time off. Fortunately, her company gives her six month paid leave. Um, and so amazing. she will be home. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's unusual, I think, in the U.S. And so she's, yeah. we're, we're lucky in that way. And then I think we'll continue with daycare um, for him and kind of keep that going. But I don't know. You know, it's so, you know, you, I don't think you ever really know what challenges are going to be presented, you know, when the baby's born and how the delivery goes and um, everything after that. So my plan is to take some time, but I don't know exactly what that will look like with kind of this new role and needing to be there, you know, for certain things every yeah. month. And um, backtracking once again, sorry, when no. you were having your, your first pregnancy and um, you're pregnant with tag and you were still working, how did being pregnant affect your work? And then since then, how has, has being a parent and now thinking of a second parent, um, pregnancy has that or a, a second child, how has that affected your work and how did either of them affect the way you interact with patients, the way that you interact with families, anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think being pregnant actually wasn't, I had, a, I was lucky. My pregnancy was super easy. Um, you know, the only challenges that were really presented, I think, you know, again, I, 
I was taken off nights towards the end of my pregnancy, which was great. It was really helpful to, you know, be able to sleep and, and not be working overnight. Um, I think those were probably the most challenging. Um, and then aside from patient comments, you know, the pregnancy itself was pretty easy. I worked up right up until he delivered. I think I, I left at like 39 weeks and I delivered at like 40 and four. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So that wasn't, that wasn't too bad, but then afterwards, it certainly has changed how I practice. I think, you know, now looking at, you know, pediatrics in general, I think I have a better understanding of feeding, nursing, kind of all that goes into that first year of life. You know, you can read out of a book how it's done, but you actually have absolutely no idea. And if I could go back in time and kill myself every time <laughs> I said pump and dump, I mean, it is appalling to me that like that was just okay um you know and and I think it's widespread you just oh this is what you have I'm going to prescribe you this well what do I do with breastfeeding oh you just pump and dump until you're finished with this medication which is crazy that that was you know and it's still you know anesthesia things like that that I just don't think we know enough about or at least not widespread knowledge of um you know, the actual medications that actually get into the breast milk and actually make a difference. And I never thought about it. And I was like, oh, it's no big deal. Just pump and dump. And it's like for an underproducer, it's such a big deal. A huge like, deal. It's liquid yeah. gold that you're pouring yeah. down the drain. Exactly. And patients are like, okay, yeah, no, then I, if that's what the doctor says to do, that's what I'll do. And I think I just never knew, one, how disheartening that could be. And two, how many times that probably wasn't true, Yeah, um, that they probably could have taken the medicine and and been absolutely fine you know and I think yeah. not doing the due diligence to dig a little bit further and truly know the recommendations um it's crazy looking back yeah I remember the first time that I pumped and dumped I had my first in medical school and so I was doing interviews for residency and it was the first time I'd been away from from the baby since um since they were born and staying in a hotel room not even that far from home, but like, you know, a few hours drive and pumping in the evening and then pouring it down the drain because I hadn't thought to like bring something to bring it home with me. I hadn't brought like a ice pack or a bag or anything. I don't know. I was like postpartum brain, not working. Yeah. And just like standing at the sink and pouring the (gasps) breast milk that was so valuable. And I was like, no, I'm never going to have enough again. Equal oh part goodness. tears and breast milk going exactly, down the drain. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and you just didn't think about it, right? Like, and, and, and the same with like recommendations around breast milk and like how long you can leave it out of the fridge for, how long it can be refrigerated, how long you can freeze it for, all these recommendations that you read and you're like, oh, if it's out for an hour, you need to throw it away. And that's crazy. That's formula. That's not breast milk. But it just, yeah. you didn't know, you know? Um, and I think I have so much more knowledge and there's so much more I can offer now. Not that I see a ton of postpartum patients, um, but when I do that are breastfeeding, I think I'm so much more knowledgeable around the actual ins and outs of it, um, which I think is great. Um, and that makes such a big, important impact on your patients. Yeah, I'm lives. sure they hugely. Yeah. So yeah. And I think you just until you do it, you just have no idea um, what you're saying. And, well, those and recommendations. I, I never realized really until seeing Alice like breastfeeding. It's not it's not you're not literally just sort of like giving milk and that's it like there's so much of uh an emotional component to that as well 
Um, like it's, it, it's a bonding thing. It's it's a very important part of any breastfeeding mother's life, and yeah, it's, it's so much more important than just feeding your baby. There's yeah, absolutely, yeah, the bonding that comes from it. And I think actually, my like my partner bearing witness to that has really re-emphasized for her um, how much she wants to breastfeed now because I don't think you really truly understand the bonding, but you know, bearing witness to it you are so bonded to this child from nursing. And, you know, we, it's our end of one, we don't have a non breastfed baby to compare to, but she certainly, you know, was doing the bulk of everything else, like changing him, rocking him, putting the bed, giving him baths. Um, and still, you know, just that nursing component has made it, you know, he's just so bonded to me. So that, was, that sort of leads on to something I was, uh, wanting to ask, which is after you going through pregnancy and breastfeeding that first year of life, particularly, what advice would you give your partner going into this um, pregnancy? Well, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot. I think, um, you know, I didn't know about like antenatal colostrum expression. And I think that would have been something I would have done prior to kind of um, save some of the colostrum before delivering so that when we were struggling in those first few days for with any sort of milk production, having frozen colostrum. Um, That's definitely would been have... something I counsel patients about now that yeah. I never like, used to Like, why did before. we not talk about like, it? Like, why did this never come up in medical school? And now all right. of my prenatal patients were like getting to that 37 week mark where it doesn't matter if I put them in right. labor. And I'm exactly. like, all right, you're full term. We're going to start hand expression. Like if one of their goals is breastfeeding, it's just not that. Absolutely. Fine. But if right. one of their goals is breastfeeding, are like, all right, it's time. <laughs> we're right. going to go through this in the office. Totally. And if you're committed to breastfeeding, I do think it helps a ton. Um, you know, it, one, you learn how to hand express, which I think is a skill in and of itself. Which and no you learn one really... how to hand express when there's no screaming baby present. Exactly. <laughs> which is a really nice time to learn. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then you have all that frozen colostrum. So when you're, you know, really struggling with production, like my labor itself, when I delivered, it was awful. And so I think that probably delayed my milk coming in. Um, and so it would have been great to have colostrum frozen, um, to start the baby on and not be like, well, what do we get formula? Do we get donor milk? How do we do this? The baby's losing weight. He's jaundiced, you know? Um, so kind of those, but like, you just don't realize how hectic those first few days of life can be. Um, and how much stress around weigh-ins and, you know, wanting to do exclusively breast milk, but struggling with your production. Um, and then pumping in the beginning, I think I had heard about oversupply. So I was like, well, I don't want to be too, you know, pumping too often. And that was not the case for me. I think I needed to start off doing triple feeds right off the bat. Um, and that really would have helped with supply. And I think I waited, you know, two weeks probably before I had a lactation consultant come in and before I really got my head around triple feeds and pumping and, and stimulation in terms of supply. So I think getting that started early um, for me would have really helped. Um with production. So I think those are probably my big take home um, points from breastfeeding. And within the emergency department, are there specific patients? I mean, I know you don't always, often, of course, get a lot of say over who you see. It's kind of who walks in through the door. But when yeah. you're looking at the list and figuring out who to sign up for, are there certain providers who tend to gravitate towards the PD population or prenatals or postpartums and and do you tend to do that? 
I do now tend to do that. I tend to pick up kids way more. I think I was terrified of them before <laughs> having a baby um, because, you know, you train and you definitely have some pediatric emergency medicine, but um, I think we're much more comfortable with adults. We spend way more, way more time in training with adults than we do with the pediatric population. And now I think I'm much more comfortable with them. And I'm also much more comfortable with moms postpartum and all those questions that come up. And I think part of it was just, I didn't know the answers a lot of the time, you know, I could read a line out of a book, um, but that doesn't really help a mom postpartum, you know? Um, so I think I'm probably one of the ones who would be quicker, um, to pick up a pediatric patient or, or a newborn um, patient. Uh, and and I you... definitely say, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was wondering how you feel your patients and your patients' parents in that situation uh, uh, find that having having someone like you who sort of has experience of having a kid in pregnancy and all that. I think they find it helpful. I mean, I'm not always forthcoming with the fact that I have children, but sometimes I am and and I can, you know, relate to them and express kind of how hard it can be. And, you know, I, we spend such limited time with our patients in the ED yeah. that sometimes I don't know if it truly is impactful for them and if it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think I'm so much more comfortable. And so I think that probably comes across whether I realize it or not and and more comfortable in answering their questions, more comfortable in handling, you know, infants and more comfortable just around that newborn period than I ever was prior to having, having a baby. And what kind of triggers you to disclose versus not disclose that, that you do have a kid and you have been pregnant and you, you've had those life experiences. Um, I think it depends on the mom. I think it depends on how much they're struggling and how much, um, you know, engagement or, or they're looking for from me. I think some moms, you know, some everyone's postpartum period is so different and so challenging yeah. in so many different ways. And so I feel like if I, if it's relatable for them or if I can somehow, you know, provide a snippet from my experience that they can find helpful, um, then, you know, we, we kind of chat about it. And sometimes, you know, we just focus on the baby and, yeah. and, and that's that, you know. And, um, kind of looking at the big picture again, do you feel like, um, moving into a more directorial administrative position, did having a kid affect that decision for you? Was oh, 1, it kind of, okay. how, how was that? Uh, I, I don't think I would have taken this job necessarily. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I think COVID also played into it. You know, I think a lot of us, um, are pretty burnt out. Um, you know, it's been a rough year. And so I think, um, you know, just like the beginning of COVID, I think was just tough. It was tough on, you know, you just didn't know what you were walking into. Patients were so sick. We'd never seen anything like it before. Everything felt new and scary and both, you know, in terms of practicing clinically, but then also, was I going to bring this home? Am I going to, you know, uh, affect my family? And so I think that contributed to kind of just being burnt out from the ED in general. And then, yeah, I just, I was missing so much. I felt like even though, you know, we had daycare and I could pull them out, I was, I was gone every other weekend. Um, And so my partner was essentially a single mom every other weekend, because even if it was a shift, like a day shift, it's still a long time to be away. And I missed out on so much. And then I felt like, 
that's only going to get worse, right? Like there's going to be soccer games and there's going to be, you know, recitals and things on the weekends that I just am never going to be able to go to if I'm still working every other weekend in the emergency department. And, you know, nights for me are super challenging. I think some people are just better equipped at doing them. And I think when I was a resident, I was fine. But then as I got older, I just found them super challenging. And it took me days to fully recover. And I was just the worst version of myself during those days because I was tired and I felt off. And so I just wanted to be a better version of myself for for him. And so I think this position sort of popped up and and someone got in touch with me and, hey, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I do, I think I feel healthier. I feel like I'm more available for my partner, for my, for my child. Um, it's just been life-changing in terms of, you know, lifestyle and, and me. And I think, you know, it's more hours working, but it's just so much more manageable. Yeah. And it sounds like you've managed to, it's not only just for your kid, but it looks like you've been able to really have this time to look at what's going to be best for you and your Mm -hmm. mental health and your stability so you can be the best that you can be as well absolutely for patients and for my family and for myself for sure um i I mean no one could have predicted this past year right but i think it's taken its toll on everyone in different ways you know and so i think having this opportunity to kind of um, work a little less clinically and, and be in the office and just be more present. Um, and now I like, you know, I was definitely burnt out from the ER and it, it was challenging. And now it's like my happy place. I'm so thrilled to be back there. I'm happy to see patients. I just don't see them like I used to. So now it feels like a privilege to be there with them. Whereas before I was just so burnt out, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's been nice. And and I don't know that this is forever, you know, but I know it's it's perfect for right now. Um, and there's always the opportunity to go back to emergency medicine full time. Um, but I think this this change in career has been has been good. And when you think about your career tra- trajectory and your professional goals um, and this change that you made and when you think about the future, how do you think being a mom has has affected those? I mean, I think I never, if I, <laughs> I never would have seen myself going into administration. I think, you know, for so many years, I was like, God, that's just so not for me. Um, and now I think this is probably my trajectory. And I think, you know, it's a great opportunity. I do think I, you never really appreciate it until you work in it as well. And that you're truly able to make bigger impacts. And, yeah. you know, you make big impacts on patients' lives in the ED for sure. But now it feels like systemically you're making, you're making impacts. Um, and so I think, you know, that and then having two littles at home, it just makes for a better lifestyle for everyone. I think I'm more available for them. And so, and, and, you know, I think depending on, you know, where we are in a few years, if I, if I did go back to the ED, there would always be the option to go back, you know, part-time and kind of do that and, and give up the administrative. But for now, this is great and probably where I'll stay uh, for a while. And were there ever any um, kind of career trajectories that you considered or dreamed of that you decided not to pursue because you had a kid like academics or anything like that? 
aside from a barista, which I think I really <laughs> would have been phenomenal at. It's like early mornings, which I do well at. I love coffee. I love a bit of a chat in the morning, you know, and just kind of. Oh my goodness, um... we're going to hang out. We're going to hang out after the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You sound like me. Um... I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that was probably what I was destined to do. Um, but no, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, like I community medicine as far as emergency medicine was definitely more appealing to me with or without a child I think you know you train in residency to do all these things and then if you stay in academics you know it's great you get to teach and you get to but you never get to truly you know you have residents that are doing everything for you and so you never get to truly utilize those skills and I think lifestyle and community emergency medicine in general tends to be a lot better um you know academics there's just so many obligations um to the residents to your research to um your clinical work um and so i think community um ed physicians definitely have more time um to be with their families and less of that commitment for better or worse awesome um and thinking about that lifestyle piece also when you were discussing with your partner about becoming parents and thinking about starting to go through that IVS process, did you ever think about, you know, when you're thinking about how pregnancy and breastfeeding and all these things affect your body and can thereby affect your career and and your life goals, did you ever think about adopting or pursuing kind of different paths towards parenthood or were you always more thinking about biological children? We never really, I think we never really talked about adoption because I think if we had struggled at all with fertility, it probably would have come up, but we just kind of did it. Uh, we were really lucky. It came yeah. very easily um, for us. And so I think that was kind of our first step. And because it worked um, right away, we kind of never went down that avenue. Um, I think we would have if we had had challenges around it. Um, but I think I... I always wanted to carry as well. I think I wanted to be pregnant. I feel like, you know, that was one of the appeals to it is that I wanted to be able to carry a child. I wanted to be able to breastfeed. Not that you can't breastfeed if you don't carry the child, but just um, I wanted that. I wanted to experience that in my life. And so I think um, doing IVF was the best way, you know, to go about that. And then, you know, if that didn't happen, I'm sure we would have looked at other options. Um, but that just, it just made the most sense for us, at least initially. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And, um, how old is, how old is Tag now? He is just over two. Just over Uh, two. He turned two in January. Yep. What a fun and opinionated age. Our youngest is just over two and is full of opinions about everything. (laughs) Everything. So challenging and so high energy. We had our first ER visit for stitches the other day and um, he is just a ball of energy. How is it being on the other side of the ER? Oh, awful. Just terrible. (laughs) (laughs) you just feel so out of control you know Uh, it was just like a little facial laceration but it like crossed the vermilion border and you know I was like uh he needs he needs stitches so um but yeah super challenging being on the other side because you know um the initial position that kind of attempted was having a lot of trouble and so that was frustrating for me and it's hard to be you know a mom and put aside the doctor you know and just be a mom 
Yeah. Um, so did you ever want to like jump in and say, let me just do it kind of thing? I, I absolutely did. And that is exactly what I said. And then I was like, I had to apologize afterwards because I was like, I'm so sorry. Like that's insulting to you. And, but I was so frustrated and he was, you know, we didn't do conscious sedation initially and he should have just done, you know, something to chill out because he's two and he's powerful and angry and did not want someone approaching his face with a needle, understandably. (laughs) Um, And, and so, and, you know, she, she wasn't super comfortable with me. And I think that happens, right. You you know, um, and so then another physician came in and did it and she was lovely and I apologized afterwards and Aww. I was, you know, um, but you just can't help it, you know? Yeah. Um, and he was so upset and, oh. and how do I'm you sure think... it was the first of many ER visits Aww. for this guy. So yeah, poor kid. how do you think being a doctor affects your parenting in general? Do you think it affects your dynamic with your partner about who makes decisions for your kid? Do you think that it affects like the way you decide when and how your kid uh, seeks medical attention, that kind of thing? Oh, definitely. Probably more than it should. I mean, I think, I think I actually am, she's actually a little bit more worried um, and she would be much quicker to go to the ER, go to the pediatrician, like pediatrician. We've never been, aside from the ER visit, we've never been to our pediatrician except for her shots and checkups, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think as an ER physician, like, unless your limb's falling off, like, I'm like, oh, he's probably fine. Yeah. That looks like about a three foot fall. That's probably fine. Um <laughs> And so I think, you know, we tend to let things go, but then, you know, I get super nervous when we're actually in there and he needs, you know, medical care. Um, and she kind of defers to me for everything, you know, and just kind of was like, is this okay? Is he okay? Um, and so I definitely kind of take that on. Um, it's it's hard. I've been trying a lot better as a as a partner to not just sort of like, just knowing that my wife is a doctor and I'm trying not to have her be our family doctor. And it's, <laughs> it's hard because there's knowledge and understanding of that totally. of medical field. That... So you want, you want to know and you want to do best for your kid, but you also, you're the mum and there, there are emotions right. that take Play that. Into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's so much literature out there about how we make the absolute worst physicians for our friends and family, right? Yeah. Like you should never care for your friends and family. Like your decision-making is skewed and it, you usually have, or you're more prone to bad outcomes, yeah. um, but then you can't step away from it either, you know? Yeah. And I feel like every time if somebody, you know, Alex, whoever is questioning like, Ooh, are they, is this real? Like, do we need to call the PCB? Do we need to go to the ED? And I find that I, I have, I play over to myself, well, what's going to happen? We're going to walk through that door (laughs) and it's awful. But one of the first questions is like, are they going to laugh at me? Like, am I going to be judged as a doctor (laughs) for bringing in my kid for this thing that is probably nothing. And like, as a mom, that should not be what's going through. No, Like it should be your first priority to keep your kid safe and not like, am I going to be judged as a doctor for like taking my kid to, to, for medical attention Right. But it's so hard to kind of separate those like kind of like professional pride from (laughs) your parenting. Absolutely. But it should never be part of your decision making. Right. And my first thought is always, how long am I going to have to wait? (laughs) That shouldn't be part of it either. You know, it's like and I also look at my watch because there's 
there's a small community hospital near our house. And I know that it's staffed by pediatric emergency medicine physicians during certain hours of the day. And that's the only time that I would take him there, you know, because I want a PEM doc to take care of him. Um, So I'm like, well, would we have to drive into Boston or is there a PEM doc there? And so I look at my watch and I see, you know, what the wait time would probably be like at this time. And is there a pediatric emergency physician there or should we drive into Boston, you know? That's amazing. I mean, it's so classic and it's so awful and also perfect at the same time because it's like totally. that shouldn't be factoring into your decision making, right? It should but be it like totally your does. kid needs attention yeah. or they don't. But at the same time, right. you're like, yeah, but it's a Friday night at 9 p.m. And if I take my kid like to the ED right now, it's going to be full of people who are intoxicated, who I don't want to right. rob my child. Yeah, right. And I'm going to have to wait for six hours. And then COVID like puts a whole nother spin on it too, yeah, you know, cause like sure. trying to get my little guy to wear a mask is near impossible. Like I consider it a win when we get pants on them, you know, never mind the mask. <laughs> That's the thing that duct tape is useful for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, so then it's like, I don't want to wears a mask much more than he wears pants or yeah. <laughs> yesterday yeah. he had a well child check and he was like the only two year old there for a well child check who was consistently wearing his mask. But then when the PCP took off his clothes to like do an abdominal exam and like, you know, regular physical exam, he refused to put his clothes on. So then he's wearing a mask and nothing else. <laughs> it's That's like awesome. throwing a tantrum on the floor of the office with nothing on mask it's like we have a little toy set for pie like with tools and stuff and so he is often in his safety goggles with nothing else on <laughs> that's perfect eye protection first yes always protect those mucous yeah. membranes <laughs> yeah, exactly the rest of the body can take a hit yeah um we're wondering uh does your does your little one have a understanding of what you do for a career and what you do for a job not really he understands doctors and but i don't think he associates me with being one um he hates especially after that er visit hates doctors and hates physicians and so thankfully (laughs) still feels um, pretty strongly towards me, and and I don't know how he'll feel once he realizes that's what you I break do. the news that you actually work <laughs> yeah, in the ER. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, wait, 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 hold the phone. <laughs> you do what? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, and he's sort of just starting to get it. Like he he sees my stethoscope around sometimes, and will put it on and call himself a doctor. But I don't think he truly has an understanding of of what I do. Ah. We yeah. have like a little oh, yeah. toy doctor set that the kids like to play with sometimes. It has a little like plastic otoscope thalmoscope it has like a little plastic stethoscope and stuff so when we were at the well child check yesterday um my youngest was like picking up the otoscope and like looking <laughs> and like wants to look in my ears and put on the blood pressure cuff and everything and i was trying to explain like these are not toys these are like right. very expensive <laughs> instruments expensive pieces of equipment please yeah. put it back yeah i know That's we my- should get him a kit Mm, oh, they're so much fun the little kits yeah. i was gonna say the um uh one of my favorite games particularly in the if they haven't had a good night's sleep and i'm very sleep deprived is i lie on the sofa and we play doctors and i just lie on the sofa and they just sort of prod random parts exactly. of my body with the instruments and it's great our youngest that is, is really into idea. vaccinating everybody right now so he like has a little fake shot but sometimes he'll use something else like a spoon or whatever and he's like i'm giving you vaccine i'm giving you vaccine so it is all the rage these days all the rage <laughs> too funny 
has your kid ever like told somebody else what your job is or what no what his idea of your job is no I, I don't know if he even realizes that we have a world aside from him <laughs> classic too then well, it's classic yeah too, exactly but also pandemic like because yeah. i'm sort right. of really realizing like our two-year-old can the memory is really only of the last year yeah our kids don't go to daycare so they yeah. really have no right. world outside the home yeah. right so he's at daycare every day and he calls so we each have like our area in the home where we work and he calls them mama's workshops um Aww. like Santa's workshop <laughs> um so he knows that we go to our workshop sometime um and you know knows that we're on the computer but that's really the kind of the only understanding I think he has of, of what we do so far anyway we have this fabulous book called uh, this is not a book uh, which is just uh pictures in this book of various things and there's one which has um a computer on one page like the keyboard on one bit and then you prop it up and it has the screen and uh mm-hmm. our two-year-old is very much like i'm working and gets that up and like is taps <laughs> yeah. on the computer like my computer i'm working because so i'm like doing telehealth from home a lot sometimes oh you are that's great it is it's so fabulous i love it because mm. there's like zero commute and i like have lunch with the kids it's so great doesn't it make yeah it makes oh a huge God. difference i love working from home which i, I never really thought would be an option right no, because me neither. A, you know, I but he typically wouldn't like both want the of ed us. patients no <laughs> not ed patients in your own home <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But he does see both of us like sitting on our computers and like working. And so now he has the idea that like, this is what grownups do is they like Mm -hmm. sit and tell you to be quiet and say, I'm working, (laughs) I'm busy. (laughs) So we're like, come, it's like dinner time. Come wash your hands. He says, no, I'm busy. I'm working. (laughs) I'm on the computer. (laughs) So Yeah, it's such a skewed perception, right? Now that COVID's hit, like they just don't, they think we never leave the home, you know? Yeah. Hmm. all right so we do have just a couple of wrap-up questions if that's okay of course all right so what is one piece of advice that you'd give to young women who are thinking of pursuing a career in medicine who also want to pursue motherhood um probably that i mean i don't know if it's advice but it's just you never are going to feel good enough in either one when you have a full-time career, but you're probably exceeding that tenfold. You just don't realize it. I think you feel so torn, you know, that you, by spending time doing one, you're giving up on the other. And I think when you actually step back, that's not true. Um, So kind of being able to see past that and understand that by working, you're providing, you know, such a good exposure for the child they get to see you're working they get to see that you're passionate about something and then the time when you're away from work that you're spending with your child is obviously unparalleled um and you know that's worth it too and um at times it feels like you're not excelling at either um but chances are you're kind of killing them both that's so powerful and and also just so perfect because I feel like expression like always in medicine you get imposter syndrome and you just feel like everybody else is so incredible and then especially as a parent when you're like everybody else is spending all this extra time they're doing all these publications they're going above and beyond and I'm just going home at the end of the day and cooking dinner and reading books and doing bedtime 
how am I possibly keeping up? And it's so important to just keep that perspective, just like you said. And, and vice versa, you know, know, all these like Instagram blogs of these moms that have these like elaborate craft products and like, (laughs) you know, like, oh, we did this today. And like, I like literally let them draw on the couch, you know, and I was like, that was our activity (laughs) for the day. Um, I think the pandemic has been even worse for that as well, because parents, these sort of like, instagram parents are posting more and more things and it's just ugh. and you're like um we drew with chalk on the sidewalk and, yeah. ran around naked and then drew yeah. on each other with chalk <laughs> totally he wore pants for 50 percent of the day it was a win uh, yeah but you just you know you do you have the imposter syndrome and you have it on both sides you know it feels oh, like sure. well you're giving up so much stuff i'm not able to listen to the lectures like i used to or put in the time that i used to um, and then vice versa, like you feel like you should be in the other place wherever you are, you know? Yeah. That, that is such, so powerful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. And then our final wrap up question, what is one thing that listeners can do once a day to make themselves 1% stronger, be it physically, emotionally, academically, or socially? I think probably take time for yourself. Like, even if it's 30 minutes, even if it's 20 minutes, something that is just you that's outside of work, outside of parenting, outside of partnering um, that you love, whether it's walking the dog or meditating or yoga or something like just giving yourself setting aside some uninterrupted time for yourself is so important and something that I think we don't do once we have kids, you know, I think we just dedicate every second that we can to either work or them. And then not allowing some sort of self-improvement time um, can really be detrimental. So I think trying to allow at least, you know, and having a partner that understands I need these 30 minutes. I just, I need 30 uninterrupted minutes to do something, um, I think makes you a better parent and and makes you better at your job as well. What's your go-to self time that's not the right way of saying it but you know what i'm trying me to say uh, yeah <laughs> what's your go-to me time uh, activity <laughs> a hike with the dog for sure there are hiking trails kind of all around where we live and so taking 20 30 minutes to get her outside me outside moving being you know outdoors with her you know she's been my baby for the last 12 years so kind Aww. of getting to spend that time um i think is all i need to recharge and be a better mom and physician and human Um, And we try to make time for that every day. It's so fabulous. And it's so important. But then at the same time, hard, like in the light of in light of what we were just talking about, you always feel like you're underperforming in every aspect of your life. And so you're like, I have 30 minutes. I could like listen to a lecture or like catch up on this something or I could do this like elaborate project with the kids or I could actually just take time for myself and And allow yourself to go. It yeah. always is. And allowing yeah. yourself to like actually spend time on yourself feels so, feels so guilty when you do it. But at the same time, it's actually really important. Absolutely. And you do feel guilty, especially like, you know, making it part of your routine. Like, no, this is just time for me. And I think you're like, it's always the last thing that comes up. But if you prioritize it, I think you're, you, you wind up being better in all other aspects of your life. Well, I feel like you've kind of got lucky that i mean you've done something dangerous because i love pets and you've dropped in the fact that you have a pet right at the very end of the interview (laughs) but um i do i do think like the fact that you're able to get outside and just be amongst nature and walk while doing something productive because your dog does need a walk at the same time and need exercise i feel like you've got a really good 
combination of two things happening there. So you're feeling less guilty because you're doing something productive that needs to happen, but it really is your time. Totally. And just going somewhere beautiful, you know, whether it's a beach, whether it's a trail, somewhere that like, you know, is um, where you can really just kind of have some time to to recollect and kind of be outside is is awesome. All right. I've got a bonus uh, final uh, wrap up question. (laughs) Uh, which happens when people drop in the fact that they have a pet at the very end. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, the, the part one of this question, so maybe there's two, um, is what type of dog do you have? Because I love doggies. And secondly, how how has um, having your furry baby interact with your uh, human baby being? Well, she is a lab hound mix. Um, she's a rescue mutt from Tennessee. I got her when I was a resident and she's moved all over with me and has been probably the most stable part of my life, you know, to date. She's an incredible dog. Um, and watching them interact is unbelievable. Um, you know, they, he is so gentle and so kind with her and I think it's good for him to have her. I think it gives him appreciation of animals and, you know, has kind of a soft spot for him. And she is so forgiving and so patient with him because, you know, learning to walk and falling all over her and she's an old dog. So um, it's been great. And I think, you know, he hasn't had a sibling yet, but he does have our our pup. And so I think it's good for him. I think it sounds like it's good training for a sibling too, because he's learning how to be gentle. And I know for us, like that was something I was worried about when we were going to have our second, like, how do we get this toddler to not sit on the baby? (laughs) So I think having a dog is such good training. Yeah. And just be gentle, you know, and he's great. We have a cat, but they're often quite less forgiving than dogs. Yeah, the cat is less gentle with the baby and the baby is less gentle with the cat. Definitely a two-way street. Absolutely. This dog would let you do anything, Um, but it's good because he is learning. Um, So it's good. And he's a little animal lover now, which I love. Perfect. So wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. This was such a wonderful, cheerful conversation. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for doing this. It's such a great project and I hope I hope it gets out to all the Dr. Mamas out there. Oh, thank, no, thank you. you. That's that's so kind of you. Of course. All right, so have a wonderful day. It was it was so lovely to chat. And Thanks, yeah. you too. Take bye. care, guys. All right, bye. bye. Thank you so much, Laura, for all of those amazing stories and wise ideas. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'll point out some of the some of the fun stuff again. Um, that sort of bit we were talking about um, about the kids just never ever wanting to wear clothes. No, that has continued to be the case. It has continued to be the case. It was surprisingly still the case even in winter time. Our youngest very happily goes around completely naked, even in. The middle of winter, it's cold. We're like, how on earth do you want to be running around the house naked? But no, no interesting clothes. Just keep going with this day. This is why another reason I'm so grateful for May. Yes. Uh, I don't feel so bad about having my children running around with no clothes on. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I also love just hearing her talk about living near the ocean and it makes me so jealous. Someday I hope to live near the ocean. The ocean is definitely one of my happy places to be for sure. Yes, I love just watching the waves and 
imagining as far out as you can see and beyond and there's other continents and maybe other people looking back and seeing as far as they can see and beyond and they're thinking of you <laughs> it's though i would have discovered like going to the ocean is an incredible completely different experience with children it's not relaxing anymore because suddenly you're worrying about your children drowning instead of just looking peacefully out to sea <laughs> sometimes i feel like i don't spend too much time worrying about them drowning because mostly they just want to play in the sand when they're near the water of course i'm worried that they're drowning but they don't often ollie likes to play in the water occasionally but mostly they both just want to dig in the sand You've definitely had a different experience at the beach than I have then. Yeah. Or maybe that's just my, my stress levels. Yeah. My stress levels have definitely become more there more than they used to be before COVID, for sure. So Before COVID <laughs> and before kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been, been thinking about, I guess we'll, we can talk, touch on this another time as well, actually, in more depth. But I'm really, I'm really kind of nervous but excited at the same time about kind of like everyone being vaccinated and that kind of starting to interact with people again because i I know it's going to be really important for the kids in terms of their growth they need so much socialization it's it's like obscene how much socialization they need but uh, i'm kind of stressed on both sides of it because i really want them to be able to be socializing in the most most wonderful child way like just free and fun but at the same time i'm stressed because of covid and i'm stressed about social situations but i'm stressed about them not socializing and i <laughs> it's a kind of a weird circle yes covid has complicated the the parent guilt um cycle of doom <laughs> and on that cheery note on that cheery <laughs> note we hope you have enjoyed this and every episode of the dr mama podcast if you have feedback comments questions or concerns feel free to Reach out to us on all the socials at Dr. Mama Podcast or on email, Dr. Mama Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, just a little message for the uh, voice messages, which you can follow the link below and leave a voice message. Someone please leave a voice message. Thank you. I, I think nobody should at this point. He's been asking for it for so long that if you do it, then it just looks like you're feeling sorry for him. And nobody wants someone feeling sorry for them. So probably best to just let that one go. I'll take whatever I've got. If, I get, <laughs> if, it, if it's a pity message, I'm still taking it. <laughs> okay. On that note, we will see you next week, friends. Bye-bye. The Dr. Mama podcast is presented by Alice Kaufman and produced, mixed, and edited by Alex Cumming, who also provided the original music.